0: Just like anybody else and many of us, I was subjected to the world, the temptations and attractions that most of us as young people already have been. So starting off, um, I was brought up in a Christian home, me, my mummy, um, daddy, and my younger brother Nathan lived in Drummond County for 27 years, um, was brought up going to church every Sunday, Sunday school, CEF camps, um, girls' brigade, Pauline was my leader, um, And I grew up knowing, knowing all about the Lord Jesus, knowing that I needed to be saved about heaven and hell. And um, I know at some point of my childhood years that I made a commitment um, to the with the Lord and asked God into my heart. Um, Mummy and Daddy used to come in with me and Nathan every night before bed, and kneel beside us and would say our wee prayers, and that's what we were growing up um, doing. So. My dad has been um, a pastor of Kilkeel for around eight and a half years, well, be nine years actually this month, and many people um, who don't have a daddy as a pastor and, you know, are seeing just what happens on a Sunday morning, um, don't realise, as Alison as will agree, the pressures and the preparation that goes on behind the scenes, and you have a wayward daughter who's being a nightmare, and, um, you know, you nearly get attacked more by the devil, and, you know, people think because you're a pastor, you have every you know, the Lord's so good to you, you have no worries, you have no panics, you've have, you have no arguments at home. But um, I can from my testimony here tonight that is very, very wrong. And I believe more so that my mom and dad were attacked far more because my dad was in ministry, he was leading people to the Lord and the devil, you know, used me to cause them so much hurt and so much pain. So I went to my Allen Primary School just out the road actually and was always known um, as a chatterbox. I don't know how, because I don't really talk don't really talk that much. But was always told off for talking and, and not listening. And some people might say not much has changed. But um, I discovered very quickly that I loved my sport. Anything to do with sport, I signed up to it. Whether it was football, hockey, tennis, athletics, I was I was doing it. And I went on to Kilgamane, and it was in and that my sporting really took off. Um, I was playing for... Uh, hockey teams, Portine Hockey Club, um, the younger age group, and the A team in Kilgaman, and but that was all really good. I had, you know, I was known for my sport, and but whenever you get known for something, you can get a wee bit popular, as some of you would know, and that went a lot to my head. You know, I thought it was brilliant having a big group of friends, and you know, your your classes being cool and everything. But in Kilgaman, it was actually. Things started to change slowly, even though I couldn't see it, but things did start to decline for me here. Um, in Kilgameen, it was actually I look back now and really ashamed, but it was actually I started I tried my first ever cigarette at this age, it must have only been about 13. But when you're in that group of friends and you know everybody else is doing it, you just want to fit in, you just want to look cool, you don't want to be the odd one out having people talk to you. And I knew deep down. That it was wrong and I knew if my mummy smelt it off me you know she wouldn't be able to sit for a week and she used to tell me she would nose on her like a bloodhound and but with peer pressure and she a day I'd done it anyway and always thought I'll never get addicted I'm just going to do it to look cool and that'll be the end of it but little did I know so then from Kilgamane I went on to Garvin senior high school and this is my favorite school of all but at the same time it's where my life really did start to decline at um, the age of 16, I was playing for older hockey teams, again, playing for Port Island Club, was playing for the Larkin Club. Um, again, getting more popular. People are knowing you. People, you know, are seeing you. And um, very quickly, the friend groups, you know, grew bigger. I was mixing with people I shouldn't have been mixing with. Um, and I just started to get deeper and deeper into, into troubleness and badness. I was known, you know some of the girls as you know back in school you thought it was cool if you had your short skirt and your tie was the on length and you were bright orange with Johnson well it was Johnson's you know fake tan back then and pure orange and we all thought we were lovely but you look back now at some photographs and you think oh my goodness now I know why mum used to tell me off but again back at that age no matter what mummy and daddy were telling me or what the teachers were saying to me, I wasn't listening. I had no time for authority. I just thought I knew better. So again, I was in the wrong um, group of friends and then in Greg Gavin senior high school, I started drinking. Um, Now, again, it shows you how quickly you can dabble into one thing and how quickly your life can start to spiral out of control, you know, especially for anyone with young ones. Um, I just thought I was going to smoke, and I was going to be cool. And the next thing, I was introduced to alcohol, and and I was drinking and stuff. And I wasn't ever, i wasn't a nice person. Looking back, I really, really wasn't a nice person. Um, you know, I was had no respect for teachers, had no respect for mummy and daddy. I was arguing, I was fighting, I was smoking in school, and I was, you know, lying to my mummy, telling mummy I was in one place and I was somewhere else. And I had the police at my house for so many different things, and. And really embarrassed, you know, no, no, especially well, any parent doesn't want the police to be rocking up the door over over their child. But again, I just didn't care. I had no respect, and I just thought I knew better. And like my poor mummy and daddy, they were praying for, praying for me all the time. And you know, they are still bringing me to church, and it was a fight and argument match each Sunday. But I still went because they were well, they were the boss, and they had to go because they weren't going to leave me in the house. But um, I didn't actually tell my daddy this until I was to give my testimony back um, in Kilkeel a few months back. Um, if anybody ever remembers CE that used to be on in Portadown on a Saturday night. My dad used to bring me there, you know, thinking, right, well, will not run the streets, we'll drop her off to CE in Portadown. And daddy would have toot the horn, that would have been away into the door like this, away into the toilet, looking up through the window, seeing him drive off and away out the front door. So, ba- so bad, isn't it? Away up the away out to meet my friends and like my poor mum and dad thought I was in there and I was away running the streets and I look back now that is so dangerous especially in the job I'm in now because anything could have happened to me and as a young person you know you do think you know everything and I could have ended up dear knows where but the Lord kept me safe throughout it all so I went on and I really really wanted to be a PE teacher that was coming from a sporty background really wanted to be a PE teacher and um I had went to Armagh, then on to Newry for my degree to finish off my teaching. And by now I was really, really lost. I was so deep into the world, like really, really lost. And um, just wrong, again, wrong friend groups. Just, I could see them and they didn't want to make anything of their life. And I had a, you know, very good mummy and daddy who were praying for me and were pushing me to, you know, get myself a good career, get, you know, everything. But... I'm looking here, I'm studying, my friends are all out drinking and having the best time. That seemed the better choice back then. Big regret, but I took the long way around, but I'm I'm at the right place now. But, so again, I was in the world, I was smoking, I was drinking, I was partying, everything. And I remember sitting in a house in Guildford, and I was with two of my friends, and openly taking drugs, and I had always been one of these people, I'll never take that there. But I had watched them a couple of times and I had seen, it didn't really look like it done anything to them and I was just sitting there and I thought, here, I'm going to try some of that. And before they were a wee bit reluctant, they were like, no, 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 and I was just like, well, if yous can do it and nothing's really happening to yous, I want to try it. And that's whenever my life then progressed even more into the world and I started taking drugs. Um, now... Both of, the, both of them, actually, I learned later on in my years that um, both of them boys are actually now saved as well, along with myself, so amazing how the Lord, how the Lord works, um, but now my life, I was at an all-time low, my life was just spiraling out of control, and mummy, mummy and daddy's heart were just broke, mummy used to say to me, Rebecca, please, will you just, please be careful, she could say my life was just, I wasn't doing things, you know, wasn't living good at all, and I think they were just panicking for my life, you know, worried about my health, you know, I was going out there, I didn't know if I was going to come home that night, didn't know if I was going to come home the second night, and, you know, mummy and daddy always said to me, you know, how like, well, I know I'm, I'm lucky to be alive, but that is all down to prayer, and, you know, there's many a times I could have died, because of stupid things I did, and stupid things I took, but... Back then, I didn't know this. I know this now, but every night that I didn't come home or I left the house and my mummy and daddy didn't know where I was going to be or what I was going to to, both of them would have went into my bedroom and knelt at my bed and prayed. Prayed that the Lord would keep me safe. Prayed that the Lord, wherever I was, whoever I was with, that the Lord wouldn't let anything happen to me. Prayed that he would ask me home. So he would um, bring me home. And to be honest, I owe everything to my wee mummy and my wee daddy. And I'm so thankful to the Lord that he spurred me all them times, that my, spurred my life and kept me safe, and that I didn't get into any trouble and didn't get any, you know, any black marks near my name because there's so many times I could have. And I'm just happy that the Lord spurred my life and has given me the opportunity to change my life around, for my mummy and daddy and my brother to see me. And a lot of people here as well who know me from the way I used to be back then, Pauline sitting over there, prayed for many years her poor head was put away as well but um it just power of prayer like 27 years of prayer well 20 25 years of prayer and i'm here but and look this is Alison said in Luke chapter 15 it tells us about the prodigal son and you know that was me i was just like him i thought all these people were my friends i thought you know this is great but really they were only using me because i was the only person with a job I was the only person with a car. How were they going to get about? How were they going to get their carriages? How were they going to get their cigarettes and whatnot? And, you know, going against my, I thought going against my parents who have been here a lot longer, but yet I thought I knew everything. Um, you know, I thought I was getting happiness, but I look back now and, you know, I just see how I lost and I just see how broken it, you know, it, it hurts me to look back because I think I thought I was happy, but I really, really, really wasn't. But just like the prodigal son, I have two parents who really, really love me, and I thank the Lord every day for my mummy and daddy. Um, 2012, 2014, we, me and mummy and Pauline um, and a couple of us, a couple other groups went out um, with banner to do street reach in Uganda, and I think mum just like, brought me there to get me away from everybody because then she knew she should eyes on me for two weeks. But we went over there and we worked with wee kids in the streets who didn't have mummies or daddies or had run away from home and, you know, they were living there. And telling you, a big reality check makes you realise, you know, made me realise how much my mum and dad do for me and how lucky I am because a lot of these wee kids, you know, five, six years of age, they're fainting for themselves out there and, you know, very, very sad. But I came home from Uganda the second time and... um, I remember just crying to mummy and just saying, mummy, like, I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy with my life. I feel like something is missing. I just want to be happy. And I was looking in all the wrong places for happiness. It wasn't, do, you know, it wasn't doing anything for me. But this is where, if anybody doesn't know, my husband, Scott, um, comes into my testimony and also comes into my life. Um, me and Scott actually met back in Kirkham Senior High School whenever we were 15. But he tells me now that there was just no way that he ever went near me back in school because it was just mental. <laughs> And I was just too crazy, and well, he was very sensible and very quiet back then, but like we always did have a wee notion of each other, but three years had passed from school and we hadn't seen each other, and a lot of growing up had happened, a lot of things had done, and I had actually just came home from Uganda the second time, and uh, Scott had messaged me and asked me to meet up, and beforehand, me and Scott, before we went to Uganda, me and Scott had been meeting, and it didn't work out, and I was heartbroken, and I was doing Mummy's hair, and I goes, Mummy, guess who's just texted me? And she's like, who? And I said, Scott Hearn. Don't tax him back. Don't tax him back. And I was going, I know, Mummy, I'm not. I'm not. I'll see, I'll see you tonight. And she says it's the only one town that went against her that actually something good's come out of it. But um, I was heartbroken before that, but I never, told, I never let on to him. So I didn't until, until we got together for good. But back then... I really wanted to be, you know, really wanted to be with Scott before I came home from Uganda. But in Isaiah 60, verse 22, the Lord tells us that for in the right time, I, the Lord, will make it happen. So I keep him going that he chased me for 10 years till I finally give in. But um, on the 19th of October, 2014, he asked me out on a date. where do you hear this. The paranormal tour in Crumlin jail. And um, very romantic. And it was afterwards he asked me um, to be his girlfriend. Uh, we went on then to get engaged in Florida in 2016. Now at this stage, we both weren't saved, and Scott had Scott comes from a non-Christian background, um, and he was welcomed into my my home, you know, by my mummy and daddy, and they knew he wasn't saved, and but mummy and daddy just prayed for him, and prayed that the Lord, you know, would save him, and um it's just again the proof of prayer, you know. Prayer, just as what Helen had said, you know, prayer, even if you don't think your prayers being he- heard, the Lord hears every single prayer, no matter how big, how silly, or how serious you might think it is. And, um, you know, again, rejoice always and pray without ceasing and give thanks in all circumstances. So, New Year's Eve 2016, me and Scott had decided to go out, you know, big party night. We were going to go into town, going to go harder, go home, you know, the old saying couldn't wait, meeting a whole big group of friends and everything, and um, Scott was to pick me up, and he was running late, like Scott always runs late, but he was really running late, and he texts me, and he texts me, and he said, I'm just letting you know, Rebecca, that I've just let, I've just asked the Lord Jesus into my heart, and I was raging, I was raging, I, you know, it's terrible, I look back now, it, it, it was terrible, it is terrible, but my plans were ruined, you know why? we had this big night set up, you know why? you know what you're like when you're young, can't wait. But, and I didn't want a Christian boyfriend, and Parish Scott came round to our house that night, my mummy and daddy just threw the arms round him, and I just went, walked out, I was like, I don't even, don't want to talk to you. And panic, I'm sure, my mum my, well, my and daddy were panic, and they were thinking, oh my goodness, please, she's got somebody decent in her life, Lord, please, please. But I went in, and I said to mummy, like, I don't want a Christian boyfriend, and mum was like, Rebecca, just, you know, you can't don't be rational here you know and we had um went out for food and everything and I hardly spoke to him and he'd rhymed on at me to go it was on a Saturday night he had rhymed at me to go to church the next day and we went to Emmanuel and Lurgan New Year's Day and actually went with Heather who's sitting here with mummy and um, only went to keep him quiet because he was going on that much and I thought flip sick, I'll go right so went into church so I've sat in, like now I was 25, you think of the amount of church services, Sunday schools, everything I had sat in, and I was going to this church service just to get, thinking, right, come on, hurry up, what can we do afterwards? First song came on was What a Beautiful Name, and I just instantly, I was sitting in the middle, beside Heather and beside Scott, and I just instantly knew this wasn't going to be any just church service. Um, I, I had, like, like I said, I'd grown up knowing that if, I hadn't, if I hadn't got myself right with the Lord, that I was going to be going to hell. And if I wasn't living my life right, that I was going to be separated from my mummy and daddy and Nathan, if anything ever happened to them. And that that broke my heart. So I continued to sit on anyway, and the pastor was talking. And and he began to read from Isaiah 43 and 19, which is, I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Can you not see it? Well, my goodness, I was sitting like this. And Scott was holding my hand, and I couldn't even look up. I honestly just felt like he was just looking straight at me, that there was nobody else there, and he was just looking straight at me. And um, Scott was squeezing my hand, and he wasn't looking at me, and I was sitting there, and a conv- big, big, big conviction. Everything was just going past me, everything, you know, what I'd done, and what happens if I, you know, if I don't get myself right. And I got up, and... Per Heather, she could say, she said, she rang my mummy, I didn't actually know. She rang my mummy afterwards and she goes like, Tracy, that was for Rebecca.' back. And she got up and she walked out. And I don't know how she had, you know, I don't know what's going on. And, you know, I don't know how she hasn't felt that there. But unbeknown to Scott and Heather, the Lord was really, really, really talking to me. Really, really hard. And I got into the car and we just got out of the car park. I'm waiting for traffic lights in Lurgan, And I just burst into tears and Scott was like what's wrong what's wrong and I just was crying Scott that was for me that was for me um, like he was talking to me like I know that's the Lord that's the Lord and mummy and daddy were up in Kilkeel because it was a Sunday and we went back to my house and me and Scott went up to my bedroom and we kneeled at my bed my mummy and daddy had um knelt for 25 years praying for me that you know, all them nights I was running the streets and messing about and I asked the Lord back into my heart and I asked him to save me and take control of my life. And honestly, the best decision I have ever made, the weight, the pressure, the sadness, the loss, everything just left me. And um, Scott was all like, ring your mom, ring your dad, ring your mom, ring your dad. So I was like, <sighs> daddy answered the phone show. Sure he thought, oh my goodness, what, what is she going to tell me now? Where, what's she done? And I told Daddy that um, I've just given my life back to the Lord. And he cried and Mommy cried. And they were overjoyed. But I think they were just really relieved as well. They were just like, thank you, Lord. Thank you so much. But um, so me and Scott, we were now saved. Um, we, you know, very new. It's amazing because the Lord just didn't want Scott. Like, he wanted me too. You know, I went to that church service the next day. Hard hearted, like I wasn't getting saved. I was going there to keep him quiet, and like he saved Scott on New Year's Eve, and you know, I came back to him on New Year's Day. But the glow um, started, so we had gotten, we got, had got engaged in everything, and you know, we had to start looking for a house. And I'm never moving house, by the way, because see the stress of buying a new house. Oh my god one of the most stressful things I've ever done. But we had actually found a wee house in Donna Cloney and we had our hearts set. It was in our price range. It was the same, la- la- the perfect layout, perfect location, everything. And nobody had actually put an offer on this house in about eight to nine months. And we decided, right, this is our house. So we put an offer on it and somebody came out of the woodworks and started bidding against us. And this went on and went on. And eventually we, we pulled out and um, we were absolutely devastated, just couldn't believe it. And you know, we were thinking, everything's going so good. You know, like, Lord, why would you let us find this house? And Lord, why would you then not let us have it? But we'll continue to search and we'll find it. Well, I found a house in Tangergay um, I went over to see another one, didn't like it, turned around and then was faced with this big um, sign Madden Heights and thought, oh, I wonder what's going on in there. So went round and there wasn't even, a, like there was only foundations of our house. There was nothing laid and I had went into the estate agents and I didn't think anything was going to be in our price range. And seen this wee house and I thought brilliant I nearly put the deposit on but Scott was on night shift and I thought no I have to wait till he wakes up but our, our site was actually site seven and what does that number mean in the bible perfection and completeness so we went on to buy site seven and this is now our wee home in Tandakee so we had our church sorry we had our house and everything and we were still going around different churches and we hadn't really settled anywhere and you know, you know yourself, you're a new Christian and you just really want to find the church. You want to find a church that you feel settled in because you've no we had no Christian friends, you know, and you're trying to go on with your walk with the Lord and that's all you want. So began searching for a church and um, there was one Sunday my daddy had said, Have you heard about Christ encounters in Andrew, And I thought, Yeah, yeah. I was we were so disheartened. I said, Yeah, yeah, and he goes, Sure, me and your mummy's up, my mom off this Sunday, come on, we'll go to it. So I went with mum and dad. And heard Ken talk and um, instantly sitting in that church service I just had a peace because I don't know if any of you's heard my daddy my daddy and um, Ken speak very similar they just tell you how it is whether you like it or not but that's the best way to be that's that's who I take it after but um, yeah the preach very say you know very alike and You know, I felt challenged, and I still come to church to even deny, and there's Sundays where, you know, I felt challenged, and I believe every Christian, you need to feel challenged in your walk, um, because you're not in this here by yourself. The Lord uses you and challenges you for different reasons. So God had provided us now with our home. We had our church, and um, he brought a number of Christian friends, you know, into our life. Um, Me and Scott went on to get married there in May 2000. Can remember, there were twenty first of May, two thousand nineteen, um, and we had both got our full time jobs in the hospital. Scott works in CSSD alongside theatres, where Helen actually used to, was it manager, used to be the manager of it. And I started um, in Craigavon hospital five years ago. I started working on the winter ward for two weeks, and then I moved to A where I've been for almost five years um a lot has changed in them five years I've seen as I'm sure you can imagine it's a and I've seen a lot of sadness I've seen um a lot of tragedies and things but I do believe the Lord has placed me there um it is a mental place and I'm a wee bit mental so it's, it's it suits me down to the ground but as you all know you know COVID-19 hit and stuff and um Scott would be quite high risk if he was to catch anything, and. Some of you know, whenever COVID first came, I actually had to move out and live elsewhere just to protect him because I was so afraid of bringing anything home to him. And, you know, we weren't even married a whole year and I was packing my bags and I was moving out. Uh, you know, I think I was heartbroken. I think he was just excited because he was going to get the house to himself. But um, I moved out and, you know, the Lord kept me and Scott safe. He has you know, for all this time from COVID has came, you know, he's he's kept me and Scott um, um, safe and that's definitely through prayer. You know, that's just not coincidence or by luck. It's definitely, you know, by the Lord. So as Alison had said, I'm in, I'm doing my nursing. I qualify here within the next couple of months. But I had been placed there on a COVID ward for six weeks, as some of you know. Um, The day before I had started working here, I was at church. Totally overcome by fear, was sitting over there, was sitting crying the whole way through the service, was terrified. And after the service I came up to speak to Ken and Alison, and along with Ken and Alison and Andrew Steele, um, they prayed with me. And Alison had said that she had been wrestling with this verse all week, and now she knew um, who the verse was for. And it was Isaiah 41, verse 10: Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yeah, I will help thee. Yeah, I will uphold thee with thy right hand of my righteousness. And whenever they prayed with me just in front of this pulpit, I instantly just was changed, wasn't I, Alison? I went out of here, new woman. Instead of being terrified about starting the COVID ward the following day, I walked out of here feeling blessed that I actually had the opportunity to go and witness to people because a lot of these people weren't going to get out of hospital. A lot of these people were going um, to pass away in hospital and I just felt really blessed that I was actually having the Lord was going to use me to speak to these people and to witness to these people in whatever way um that he wanted and I remember coming home that night and um I had a couple of wee tracks and I put them in my lunch bag and I thought Lord I have five tracks here if I can give these five tracks effect to five people in my six weeks I'll be I'll be happy so started on the COVID ward in the second of August. Was there for six weeks. Um, big, big eye opener. Like I'm seeing people coming in to A&E and they're just newly diagnosed with COVID, and then from A&E they go away up to a ward. And I don't see how sick they are about to, co- you know, they're about to become. And I walked onto that COVID ward and I was just like, whoa, big eye opener. Big, big eye. Machines everywhere. Like young people, you know, younger than me even. And these people are on these breathing machines and you know, they can't survive without being on these and you know, it was very, very scary. I, the only way I can describe it is like something out of a scientific movie. Wearing this head-to-toe gear, you don't know what anybody looks like, they don't know what you look like, all you have is eyes and what I've learned, especially over the last while, you can read a lot with somebody's eyes. So, all my, it was actually, I started off a night shift On my second night I was down on the most high-risk part of the ward where um, they're on AGPs uh, and on stuff called CPAP and NIV to help to help people breathe, and um, I met a wee man called David. He was my my patient, and he just happened to be the first person that I went over and I started talking to. And I sat down beside him and I started talking to him. And you know, I knew he wasn't well. i had been handed over. I knew he wasn't he wasn't you know too good. And he just started talking. He was talking about his wife, talking about his children, and um, I thought. You know, the Lord, I could feel this way, and you know, feel the Holy Spirit really taking a hold of me. And I was like, Lord, am I meant to pray? Am I meant to talk to this man? I don't know, Lord, you know, help me. And everybody, it was almost like all the nurses left the bed, and it was just me and David and three other people who were sleeping. So I started witnessing to him, and he said, you know, I can't believe I'm here, you know, this and that. And, you know, i have I've been trying to protect myself, and I've been staying away with people. And I just sort of said... You know, it's it's in God's plan. I just, you know, thought I'll drop a wee thing in there and see how He takes it. And He was all like, "Suppose it is, yeah, yeah." And I could see Him looking at me. And I said, "You know, David, I'm a Christian." And He goes, "Oh, are you?" He says, "I have queer respect for people like you because you aren't afraid of anything." And I said, "Oh, David, I'm afraid of plenty." And I started talking away to Him, and you know, I said to Him, "Do you go to do you go to church?" And He says, "I do." And um, I says, are you saved? And he goes, no, no. Um, me and my wife had talked about it about 30 or 40 years ago, but we've never done anything about it. But sure, it's too late now. David was in his 60s. And I says, David, it's never too late for as long as you are alive and you can talk and you can pray. I said, it's never too late to give your life to the Lord. And I said, the Lord knows all about you. And um, Jesus loves you. And I went out in my break and I was going through my wee tracks and I found this wee one about covid Just thought because he was COVID and I was on a COVID ward. And it was all about um, how the Lord, you know, is with you through the darkest days. How he never leaves you and everything. And I, on my break, I pulled out a pen and scribbled on the back of it. It's never too late to give your life to Jesus. Do it while you still can. Jesus loves you. Or, because I thought if anybody sees Rebecca, they'd be thinking this student nurse isn't wise. But anyway, I come back from a break and he was just about to fall asleep. And I goes, David, there's your wee track. Sure, read it if you get a chance and that's all I said I was thinking I'm not you know that's all I was saying he was very very sick and I had come home and I had actually texted wasn't it you and Ken and a couple of others and I said listen I've met this man David and would you please pray that the Lord will use me to witness a wee bit more to him and that you know he'll get saved so that was on the Wednesday I came back on shift on the Friday I went over to him again and he had deteriorated quite a lot and I said well did you read did you read my wee track and he goes yeah yeah I read a wee bit of it and I says and how do you feel oh I don't know I don't know and I said you know David I can pray with you now so I just prayed just you know just a wee short prayer with him and I went away and later on in the night I went over and I could see he was awake it must have been about half four in the morning and I went over and I started talking to him again and started witnessing to, to him again and you know, telling him about how he needs to get saved and he was saying, you know, I'm really struggling Rebecca and I says, oh, no David and I don't mean to put this out of place but I said if you think you're struggling now you know what hell's like because you've been to church and I says, can you imagine what hell's going to be like? I think a did have scared the life out of him but the, Lord, but the Lord put it in my heart so I had to. So um, I said, you know, sort, witness it away to him and I says, David would you please not get saved because the Lord loves you? And he said, but I don't know how to do it. And this man had been going to church, and he didn't even know how. How he get saved or anything? And I said, David, I can just say a wee short prayer with you, and you can just repeat after me. And he goes, okay. Well, my, my heart was like this. So took his two hands, and I just sat, kneeled down beside his bed, held his wee hands, and I just said a wee short prayer. And he repeated after me. And he started to cry. And I started to cry. I just gave him a hug. I didn't care. I gave him, I gave him a big hug. And I said, Oh, David, it's just amazing. And he said, Rebecca, even though he was so sick, he could hardly talk. He said, It just feels like a weight's been lifted off my shoulders. And I said, David, you know whatever, Whatever's going to happen, I'm going to see you in heaven one day. And he said, Can I go to heaven and come back and tell you what it's like? And I goes, Unfortunately not, but you better remember me because I'm going to get shouted out for sitting with you all this time. But we had a wee giggle. But um, he went on, that was at five o'clock on the Friday, he gave his life um, to the Lord. And he said to me, now Rebecca, won't you please tell my wife Patricia, him and Patricia had been together, I think they got married whenever they were 21, and he says, won't you please make a promise to me that you'll tell my wife, you'll tell my wife that you've prayed with me, you'll tell my wife that, you know, I've got saved, and I says, yep, yep, I will. So I said goodbye to David on the Friday and told him I'd see him on the Monday, because I wasn't working that weekend. So, on the Sunday, me and Scott had went out for a wee walk, and I said to Scott, he showed me photographs. He lived in Tandragee, and I live in Tandragee Again, how does the Lord work? Knew all this here before I knew it. So, me and Scott went out for a wee walk, and I said, we have to find this house. I made this man a promise, to go and find the house. So, we were walking, and I looked over the garden, and I said, that looks, really, that looks so much like his house. And then, I seen this lady at the front door, and I said, Scott, I think that's his wife. Now, I only knew her from a photograph, from after he had showed me on his phone. And there were two people outside the house, and I walked on, I came back up, and we shouted, and I said, Excuse me, would you tell me, is that David's house? And they said, Oh, yes, yes, that's David's house. And I said, Well, how is he? And they just looked at each other and looked at me, and they were like, Did you not hear? And I said, Hear what? And like, he passed away this morning. So, of course, like these two people probably thought I was loony, but I started wailing in the middle of the street. These people didn't even know me. I started crying. Scott was going, oh, my goodness, please. And I was like, oh, I can't believe this. I told them, who, told them who I was. And I said, listen, I actually prayed with David. And I was looking after David. Do you think I should go and tell his wife? And they were like, I think you should. So they brought me up to her house. And out came Patricia. And I introduced myself. And she said to me, I know all about you. She said, David's told me you prayed with him to say that, he told me that he got saved, he gave his life to the Lord and I says, yes I'm actually a Christian myself and I went on, you know, just to tell her and me and her hugged and we stood and we cried, like I'd only met this man three times, but he'd just taken such a big place in my heart and he will will always have a special place in my heart because David was the first person I've ever led to the Lord, like I was going on to this COVID ward happy if I could give out a track to one person, I wasn't expecting to pray with somebody and you know, lead into the Lord. But Patricia asked me, could you have my wee number and stuff? And I says, of course you can. So exchange numbers. And I just left it that there. The following week, sorry, that was on the Sunday. On the Friday, it would have been David's birthday. And I came home from night shift and on my way, I had got a week thinking of you card and got a wee um, Bible track with verses for grief that you would read for a month every day. And I, it was really early in the morning. I just put it through the letterbox and left. And that, that's just how I just wanted her to know, you know, She'd just lost her husband and it was going to be his first birthday and she didn't have him. And that's the way I left. I'd never heard anything else off Patricia and that was okay. And then two weeks ago, two weeks after that I was out walking Cooper before had to come to church. Ten, half nine in the morning this strange number rang and I wasn't even going to answer it and I'm so happy I did. And it was Patricia. And she says, hello Rebecca, it's Patricia. She, says, she was in total bits, she was crying her eyes out and she says, I just need to see you, I really need to see you. And I said, well, I can come now. And she goes, are you sure? I said, I'll come now. So I run back to the house, run up the road, like something not wise at nine o'clock in the morning. Got into the house. Scott thought something had happened to the dog. And I said, Scott, Patricia's right, We need to go to our house. We need to go to our house. I said, go to your church. I'm going around to see Patricia. So I went round to Patricia and me and her sat and we cried and we talked. And, you know, she said to me, like, Rebecca, God's really been speaking to me. And she went on to tell me how. And we Bible verses have been coming at her and stuff. And she says, I really want to get saved. Well, I just thought, oh Lord, <laughs> this is amazing. I just could, couldn't believe it. It's like, oh my goodness. So in our wee sunroom, you know, where her and David, we David's photograph and everything, where them two would have sat all their life. Um, me and Patricia held hands and I led her to the Lord too. And, and she got saved. And I'm still in touch with Patricia, you know, to this day. It's just, it's just brilliant. And you know send each other away bible verses and everything so it's amazing so just pray for her daughters her daughters you know they didn't get to see their daddy at the very end and they're struggling a lot with that and because i put myself in there, in their shoes if that was me you know it would break my heart and they're not saved and you know they're blaming god you know which is understandable but just keep them her three daughters in in your in your prayer but i thought that was it i thought lord this is brilliant like not only have we give out a track of, you know there's two people's got saved so I thought that's me finished I went on into work and then my third week I walked down to do obs and opened up the bedroom sorry up, opened up the wee bedroom door and there was Adele sitting and I was looking now all she could see was here and I was looking at her and I was standing like this trying to read the name looking at her and she was looking at me and I said do you where would I know you from and we, were, we worked it out that it was church and we sat, we closed the wee door, and we had a wee time with the Lord, and we sat and we talked away about the Lord and everything, and it was lovely, wasn't it? It was just, you know, from a Christian point of view, you know, to have somebody else that is saved and knows all about the Lord was brilliant. And then I had went off shift, and then you were, she got sent home, thankfully, and I didn't, we didn't um, get to talk again, but then I converted into the world's best hairdresser for Tracy's daughter, for Jackie god love her she was one of my patients as well and you know i learned how to do ponytails like i have no children and scott well he's no her so i don't really get to do her <laughs> on anybody else so per jackie she would she had told denise that somebody was doing her hair and she would side ponytails she'd front ponytails everything but you know it was brilliant but uh, jackie i said goodbye to jackie and i might come back on the next shift jackie had moved to a different ward So I was into my fourth week, and I was sitting, writing up my patient's notes, and I heard one of the nurses say to me, sorry, I was on the phone to the doctor and said, "Eh, you need to come up and see this new patient. I was going, oh my goodness, more people. And I could hear, what's the patient's name? And all I heard was Jennifer McClatchy. I was just like, oh my goodness, Lord. So I said, right, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I run, natural and sync, run up to the top of the bay and went over. And I was all looking at her, and she was looking at me. And she was, you know, she had her breathing thing and everything on. And I said like this, and I said, "Don't even tell me you're not going to say hello to me." And I had my name on, and she was looking at me. I said, "It's Rebecca." She goes, "Oh, for goodness' sake, Rebecca." And you know, I went over and held her hand and was spoken everything. And you know, even though she was on the breathing apparatus, I said, "Don't you be talking too much. I'll talk for you." And that night. I got to pray. She came up at nearly the end of my shift and I prayed. I said, Jennifer, do you want me to say a pray prayer with you before I leave the shift? So I pulled the curtain I said to the nurse looking after don't be panicking, nothing's happened. Me and Jennifer go to the same church and I'm just going to say a prayer with her. So I prayed with Jennifer and um, went off shift and I said, I'll see you. That was on the Wednesday. I said, I'll see you on the Friday. So I came in the Friday. Jennifer, you know, she had deteriorated quite a lot, but she was still up talking. She was still She was still all in good tune and I was winding her up saying, look at you, you're still the style queen. These lovely bags, like lovely pattern bags and our wee hand creams and everything, like the best, the best. And I said, Jennifer, I wouldn't expect any less of you, you know. She was giggling away. But um, again, on that night, I actually got to finish early, but I had told Jennifer that I would pray with her before I would leave. And I came up to her, and I says, Jennifer, I am being sent home, but is there anything you need me to do? And um, I helped her tidy up her wee lotions and everything, and we were just sitting talking about the Lord and everything, and I pulled the wee curtain round again, and I just sat on the side of the bed, and I just held her hand, and I was praying, I and was, I was praying like she was just worshipping the Lord, like she'd, her auction was so low, and she even to that very point, she was still just all for the Lord, you know, she amazing me and her were talking i said like jennifer there's so many people in church praying for you and she's all like oh i know i know i'm in part you know a lot of um, prayer groups and you know i cried and she cried and i said like jennifer it's totally different whenever i'm looking after people who are very unwell that i know who are usually fit and well outside of the hospital and you know i knew it wasn't going to be a good outcome um i knew she was very sick i think she knew too i never spoke about that with her um but as I prayed with her on that Friday night, now that day everybody was on. Everybody in that bay was very, very sick. A lot of machines going, a lot of oxygen going. And as I began to pray, it was like everything just silenced. Like I can't even begin to explain it. Everything just went quiet, and it was just as if it was me and Jennifer sitting holding hands, and the Lord was right beside us. It was just like He had His arms right around us, and me and her were praying and just thank the Lord for Jennifer and I thanked the Lord that he had placed me there to be with her and thanked the Lord for saving her and whatever the outcome was going to be that he was in control and that you know he had already written her life and you know it was lovely it was something it was it was really really special and something I, I will always cherish forever and I said is there anything else need me to even do for you Jennifer and she said no and I said well you happy enough if I go on she goes oh yes you go on so as I had walked out of the bay I had turned round and I waved at her and she was sitting like this, waving and smiling back at me. And I was said, I'll see in the morning time. But I came on shift in the morning to the nurse meeting me and telling me that Jennifer had actually sadly passed away just before I come on shift. And I just broke down. Like, Like I said, it's hard, it is it's a hard job, you know, it's very sad, but whenever it's somebody that you know and you know you're talking to in church and You're seeing them fitting well and walking about and talking and everything to being in a bed and stuff. You know, it's very, very different. But me and Jennifer will always have that wee special, you know, I'll always cherish that last week, couple of moments I had with her. And I thank the Lord for placing me there just to pray with her for comfort because she's a lovely, lovely lady. And even up to the very end, she was, she was worshiping the Lord. It was amazing. So again, I just, you know, thank the Lord for using me. And I thought, brilliant, that's me. done. went into my fifth week. And um, I looked over up in the bay. It's like, I know that woman over there. Who is that woman? And I looked at the name and it was Julie Wills for anybody that goes here. Julie Wills is my patient. And I just thought, oh, Lord, are you joking me? Are we, are we going again, Lord? And I used to wind, um, for anybody that has ever watched the movie Hacksaw Ridge, the Christian war movie, I was sitting and saying to myself after David, Joking, not realising the Lord was going to actually listening. Me going, help me get one more, help me get one more, Lord. Not think, you know, joking about, but the Lord really did. So anyway, I didn't know. I didn't. I only knew Julie to say I wouldn't have never have spoke to Julie. And I know she's listening tonight because um, she sent me a wee message before I came. And she was, in, she was in this big, busy bay, and I was walking down. I said, like, Lord, am I meant to pray with her? Am I meant to talk to her? She, would, she couldn't recognize me because I was in all my stuff. And I said, Lord, if you're looking me to go and talk to Julie, will you please just show me? So I went on my break, and I came back up, and there she was being pushed into a side room. We room by herself, and I thought, okay. Lord, if this is what you want me to do, I'll do it. And like I said, everyone ever said hello to Julie. didn't know anything about Julie, and I walked into Julie's room. And I made myself known to Julie, and Julie again, she was very, very sick, and um, just sat in the edge of the bed, and I just talked away to Julie, and I went from not knowing her to nearly being like best friends, and know each other inside out now, because I've talked that much, times I had to tell her, don't you be talking, because your oxygen's not too great, I'll talk. But um, the Lord gave me the opportunity to pray with Julie for all of that week, anytime time I was on shift, even if she wasn't my patient, before I went home, or at the start of my shift, I made... Um, a wee point to going in and praying with Julie and you know it was lovely you know I know Julie really appreciated it and I said you know Julie this is just this is what the Lord does the Lord puts people in our paths and if we're least expecting it whenever we're at our week it's just to be a wee comfort to each other but you know me and Julie have we special times in that ward now but lastly I just want to thank everybody who prayed for me you know I don't know who, who prayed for me I know there was a lot of people praying for me and praying for me and praying for my protection because on that whole six weeks where I could have caught COVID very easily, the Lord kept me safe and I didn't. Like I was holding hands with people, I was touching people, I was right beside people with these machines and very, very high risk and the Lord kept me safe and I just want to thank each and every person who, who prayed for me and who continues to pray for me and continue to pray for me because I am an A&E and it's, you know, it's a red zone and, you know, there's COVID coming in every single day and, you know, A&E can be quite dangerous. But, just back to the way part of my testimony, I just want to say if there is a parent or anybody here that has a loved one that's running wild in the world or anything, I'm, sta- I'm standing here now and I am proof that prayer works. You just keep praying because even if you don't feel like your prayers are being answered, believe me, the Lord is answering them. And like um, Helen said, the Lord is the same yesterday, today and forever. And the answer might not be yes, it might be not no, it could be wait, And I know as well, I'm very impatient, Scott would tell you. But the Lord does everything for a reason. And if I had got saved all them years ago, I wouldn't be able to share my experience that I look at it now with young ones who come into N.E. who are lost in the world. And, you know, I might not never have got into a nursing career and got to spend them times with Jennifer and Julie and other people I got to pray with and witness and meet David and stuff. So just keep holding on to God and keep praying, praying for them. And thank you all so much. That's my wee testimony.